It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're uh, playing, just uh, join our Facebook group. Just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. Elliot Resnick uh, was uh, a terrific guest last time that he was on the program. He uh, gave a contrary view to what we had been hearing on the issue of yeshiva education. And it turns out he is a prolific author. He has a podcast which is just uh, growing in popularity by leaps and bounds. He happens to be the former chief editor of the Jewish press, uh, the author and editor of several books, including most recently, Nuggets of Gold, Donald Trump on Marriage, War, Plastic Straws, and 330 other topics. He's also the host of the Elliot Resnick Show podcast. Elliot, it's great to have you back. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. It's great to be back. So, uh, Elliot, uh, you were kind enough to drop off a copy of this book, Nuggets of Gold, which I actually did enjoy uh, a great deal. I actually I saw what it was, and I thought, all right, okay, it is what it is. And then I, I read the quotes that you selected, and it was actually remarkably amusing. And I think it would be even if you were not a, uh, a Trump fan. Thank but you. But you, you dropped this off during the show, and I guess they wouldn't let you leave it downstairs. And you called me during the show. But my question, and I've been waiting to get you on the air to answer this, how would I have answered the phone while we're on the radio? That's a very good question, but I figured every once in a while you have a break, and I just didn't know what else to do. Uh, it's the fair. middle of the night, that's though. Fair. That's fair. You got up today with no problem. And I felt a little bit bad, but... No, uh, that's okay. I'm glad I got the book, and I appreciate it. Thank uh, you. You got up today with no problem, yes, right? thank okay, you. Okay, good. Hey, a lot of people are going to ask, and I don't want to spend a tremendous amount of time on this uh, because it's been well-documented before, but a lot of people are going to ask, you have uh, written about and covered in, as a media personality the plight of some of the people that were arrested for January 6th. And there was one article, I think it was the Daily Beast, but it might have been elsewhere, that criticized you for not disclosing that you had been at the Capitol on January 6th. Putting aside the issue with the January 6th uh, riots, do you think that was um, inappropriate on your point, uh, of, from your perspective, to not disclose that you'd been at the Capitol when you were writing about those issues? Right. As a general matter, I don't put too much weight on modern secular journalistic ethics. The I was not writing coverage stories. I was writing one opinion piece about what happened on that day on January 6th and whether who's really at fault, who committed the first crime, the crowd or the Democrats who either stole an election or refused to answer very basic questions about a very fishy election. And I wrote an opinion piece on that. And when you write an opinion piece about what I thought happened that day and who's really responsible, I didn't think it was necessary to write that I was there. I didn't think it was relevant whatsoever, and so I just didn't mention it. So but, if you could do it again today, same, you'd handle it the same way? You also have to understand we're still living through a very strange era, but especially then we were living almost under an era where you felt like there were billboards on the West Side Highway 
by the FBI saying, if you know anyone who was at the Capitol on January 6th, please call this phone number. When is the last time the FBI had billboards on the West Side Highway? So we were living in a very strange period of time. I wasn't going to exactly put on a platter and tell everyone, oh, I was there, you know, just for people to – all the dogs to come clawing at me. All right. Uh, it's no secret that the 45th president and – who knows, before it's all said and done, maybe the 47th president is a very quotable guy. Take a look at the oranges, the oranges of the uh, uh, investigation. The Mueller report, I wish, covered the oranges, how it started. And they'll do the same thing because somebody picked an orange out of a refrigerator and you don't like it? Uh, you have written a book called Nuggets of Gold, Donald Trump on Marriage, War, Plastic Straws, and 330 Other Topics. Essentially, this is a, a book of Trump quotes on various topics. What made you write this book? So the origin of the book lies really in 2015, 2016. I would be watching Donald Trump's rallies just for sheer pleasure. I love his political impieties. I love that he spoke off the cuff. I love that he was attacking the media. But then I also started noticing that Trump had an uncanny ability to capture truths about certain topics in a very pithy and you could say Trumpian type way. Mm. So I'll give a few examples. He would speak about the Middle East often and he would say, you know, if all of our politicians had just gone to the beach for the last 15 years, we would be in a much better position in the Middle East today than we are right now. And of course, that's true. Now, if you or I were discussing it, we would start discussing a certain policy in Egypt or Libya or Iraq or Syria. He skipped the whole discussion, went right to the conclusion and gave it a very flavorful, flavorful Trumpian. You, you know, you're so right. And you are uh, – I've heard other people say this. I know uh, Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert, has spent some time analyzing Trump, not his policies, but his abilities to communicate – and I was similarly blown away in the campaign in 2016 that something that it would take me an hour to try and get across on the radio, to your point, in, a, in one sentence, he would convey the same thought, the same uh, idea far more effectively than I did in, in an hour. Um, what is, and I'll tell you mine, but what is, of all the quotes in your book or all the Trump quotes that are not in your book, if you had to pick one what is, for entertainment's sake, what is your absolute favorite Trump quote? I think my absolute favorite one is his one on the QAnon. He was asked by a reporter what he thinks about QAnon. He said, well, I don't know anything about the group, but QAnon is against child pedophilia, and I'm also against child pedophilia. I thought that was an unbelievable answer because the whole question is absurd. Obviously, the group is a wacky group. No one thinks he takes it seriously. The reporter doesn't take it seriously. It's a crazy question. But instead of indulging the question and answering it seriously, he doesn't play along. He just says this answer that I just said. Yeah, I, I thought that was good. If I had to pick one for – mine is a two-parter. I'm sure you remember it. After he won, I think it was in Nevada – he is chronicling of the list of groups that he won with. And he says, uh, we won with young, we won with old, we won with highly educated, we won with poorly educated. I love the poorly educated. <laughs> I thought that was funny. But then I think that somebody must have told him that that was not the best thing to say, but he still wanted to make the same point. So at a rally a day or two after that, he was starting to do the same thing, but he didn't want to say the same thing. So what he said, what he said was, we won with everybody. We won with uh, highly educated. We won with okay education. And he said, we won with people who maybe didn't do so much with the education, but they're doing great now. <laughs> Which I thought was so 
great that this that his definition of how does he know they're doing great? They're doing great because they voted for him. Uh, so there are going to be some people, I, I think maybe even the former president himself, that are going to say that you're attempting to profit, to make money off of Donald Trump's name or the enthusiasm that a lot of Donald Trump's supporters have for him. What do you say to that? To be fully honest, I'm not going to say they're completely wrong, but I will say in general, I have an attitude on many things in life. If I could use my knowledge or more my enjoyment for other people, why not? So I was enjoying these rallies. I was watching them for my enjoyment. I'm sitting there for, for 45 minutes enjoying a rally. And also I started noticing these quotes one by one by one. And so I said, you know what? I see all these wonderful quotes. Let me start collecting them. And also, it's not just about entertainment. I mean, originally, I wound up being entertaining quotes and wise quotes. My original plan was only wise quotes. Because I think he actually captures things like about torture, let's say. He was asked about waterboarding. People say, does waterboarding work? Does it not work? And he said, you know what? Of course it works. And if it doesn't work, they deserve it anyways for what they're doing to us. I think that's a great line that should be have wider exposure. There were things he was saying that I wanted other people to know about. Later on, I did encompass other quotes that weren't just about wise quotes. But my original purpose was, if I think this is a very wise quote and a very wise way of capturing a certain truth, let me share it with other people. Uh, obviously, he's been very, very outspoken on a lot of issues related to COVID, including a fellow that used to work for him, Dr. Anthony Fauci. And don't forget, Dr. Fauci, what he said is, no, no, don't close it to China. I said, I'm sorry, doctor, you're a wonderful man. And he is a nice man. You're a wonderful man. I'm closing it. I saved thousands of lives. He admitted that two months later, two months later. And Dr. Fauci said, don't put on masks. Don't put, you see the thing. And now he says, put on masks. And they say, you know, he's a wonderful guy. And he is a wonderful guy. I like him. He just happens to have a very bad arm. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite quote in the book related to either Fauci or COVID? He has a quote about – he's talking about children, he's, uh, the reaction to children, how great of a immune system they have. And he's talking about – that they told him – here, I'll just read it from the book. Um, you know, my son Barron had it. Sir, sir, he just tested positive. Who? Barron. Oh, like about 12 seconds later. How's he doing? Oh, he's recovered. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, is this a little Maoist to have a book of quotations of uh, of Donald Trump? I mean, there, there there is a little bit of a comparison to Mao, who made everybody carry his w- wisdom and his axioms everywhere. Isn't isn't there a little bit of a similarity there? I think the people who love Trump the most take him the least seriously in a certain way. Meaning, they know he's a character. They're not treating him like some reverend priest. He's He's, he's a character. No, this, I don't think, you know, this Hitler comparisons, it's not. I, I really don't think so. Uh, all right. He has uh, a pretty good relationship with Kevin McCarthy. He supported him for speaker. He called him famously at one time, my Kevin. It, uh, it looks like his Kevin is having a difficult time getting elected speaker. Give me your take on um, the speaker election and how Trump plays into that. Uh, Trump was asked after the three failed votes yesterday, if he's still for McCarthy. And he really didn't say much. He didn't say he wasn't, but he didn't exactly give him a full-throated endorsement. Where do you think uh, Trump plays in this whole speaker election? Trump likes playing both sides. And the one thing that I really hope changes if Trump wins again, and it's not clear if he will change, I think a lot of his supporters were disappointed with him not, to use one of his phrases, draining the swamp. Meaning he surrounded himself by many Mm. establishment types. And I think he's still trying to play this game where he's going to 
be buddy buddies with whoever's in power and work with that person. And it did not work for him last time at all. And if he's going to do the same thing all over again, I think that's problematic. And that's what he's trying to do now. If McCarthy's going to win, I'll support McCarthy and I'll work with him. If he's not going to win, he's playing both sides. I am much more leaning towards the, um, the Republican base side. I think we've had enough of the rhino business, enough of the establishment stabbing us in the back. I don't know if we could take Matt Gaetz's word for it, but if he's telling the truth, they were asking McCarthy for very simple things. We want to vote on the border. We want to vote on a balanced budget. If he's not giving in on these very simple issues, that makes me very suspicious. And I don't want someone like that who's not going to be giving in on these very basic conservative issues. So I would rather have this fight now and come to some sort of agreement now. Let McCarthy blink. Let him give in a little bit. You uh, alluded to some, the kind of the swamp problem of the Trump administration, and that's actually one of the things I was going to ask you about because it's one of my – and I voted for Trump twice, but it was one of my great frustrations is the people that he appointed to run the country I thought were some of the worst picks ever. Folks like uh, Rex Tillerson, uh, a secretary of state who later described the president as uh, as an effing moron. Uh, people like uh, John Bolton, uh, even folks like General Mattis who uh, as great a patriot as he might be, as an experienced military leader as he might be, had a very different view of foreign policy than than Donald Trump did. Steve Mnuchin, a number of others. Um, a lot of folks, uh, why then, given the frustration that people have had with Trump's appointments, why would you choose to support him again in 2024 uh, rather than someone like a DeSantis, who some folks say may be better suited to take the mantle of Trumpism and run with it. The main reason I would say is honestly gratitude. He has done so much for the conservative movement and the cause for the last seven years. And for that, he's been vilified, maligned, and attacked for seven years straight. He's gone through two impeachments. He's going through several phony legal investigations now. When someone goes through so much for you and done so much for you, I think you owe it to him. If I may be permitted a sports metaphor, uh, supposing Joe Montana's in the Super Bowl and he's throwing, let's say, three interceptions. It's an imaginary scenario. It's not, it didn't actually happen. Sure. He throws three interceptions. Are you going to take him out? No. You're going to stick by him. You know why? Because he won 14 games for you in the regular season. He's won already two or three playoff games for you now. It's the Super Bowl. If he tells you, I think I could do it, you're going to stick by him because he's, he's your star player. He's done so much for you. Now, there are some crazy exceptions. If he threw five interceptions, we have seen cases where a coach will take out the star player if he's having an absolutely horrific, horrific day. But it has to meet a very high bar. So if Trump does something, starts, does terrible things, one after the next, fine. But otherwise, I think you owe it to that person. If someone has been on your team and led your team for seven years and done so much good for you, you owe him a second chance if he wants that second chance, as far as I'm concerned. We're talking with Elliot Resnick. You can check out his podcast, The Elliot Resnick Show. The new book is called Nuggets of Gold, Donald Trump on Marriage, War, Plastic Straws, and 330 other topics. What's the best way for people to get the book, by the way? Amazon. Amazon. Just search Elliot Resnick or search Nuggets of Gold. It comes up. And now you've launched Jews for Trump, right? What's Jews for Trump? So it's, it's a website. I launched it basically a day or two after the midterm elections because I was kind of shocked at how so many conservatives were throwing Trump under the bus. Because, again, after he had done so much, you don't just throw someone under the bus like that overnight. And I even saw a prominent Orthodox Jew throw Trump under the bus a day or two later, and I was shocked by that. And so I wanted to make it known that there were many Orthodox Jews that actually like Trump and support Trump and stand by Trump. And honestly, gratitude is one of the core values of Judaism and I'm sure many religions. Why do we serve God? Because he gave us life, right? He gave us two functioning hands, two functioning feet, eyes, nose, mouth. 
That, so we have gratitude. Why do we honor our parents? And partially because of gratitude. They cleaned up our throw up, our vomit when we were younger. They woke up for us in the middle of the night. They spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on our education and our upbringing. Gratitude is an extremely important value in religion. And I don't understand how you could just throw someone under the bus so quickly after he's done so much for you. And that's why I created the website. Uh, President Trump had said, and he was criticized by a number of Jewish leaders for saying this, that if Jewish uh, folks vote for Democrats instead of the Trump Republican Party, it shows either a total lack of knowledge or great disloyalty. What do you make of a comment like that? I think it was fine. I think most Orthodox Jews felt it was fine. I think it was very clear he meant disloyal to Israel. He didn't mean disloyal to America. And most <laughs> proud Jews are very pro-Israel. And so that's what he meant. I was, it was far leftist Jews who hate Trump anyways who started trying to make this into a whole big to-do about Jew loyalties and whatnot. And Trump was trying to make a very simple point, which is if you vote for the Democrats, you're voting against Israel's interests. And how could you do that if you're a loyal, proud Jew? And on that, he's completely correct. Uh, Trump was criticized, obviously for having dinner with uh, Kanye West and Nick Fuentes. He says he doesn't know, he didn't know who Nick Fuentes was, but certainly he knew who Kanye West was, who has a pretty lengthy track record of making anti-Semitic remarks. Do you think it was a mistake for Trump to agree to have dinner with Kanye West? Like many, so many other things, I think things are blown out of proportion. Trump meets with Al Sharpton. Al Sharpton is responsible for the deaths, likely responsible for the deaths of several Americans. So why is it okay for Trump to meet with Al Sharpton and not okay for him to meet with Kanye West? He meets with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Pelosi and Schumer have done much more harm to America than Kanye West has. So I think things have to be in proportion. Um, in terms of Kanye, Kanye, to, to me, to a proud Jew, is an anti-Semite. To a regular person, Kanye is an eccentric rapper. And to Trump, Kanye is an eccentric rapper who, at great professional risk, came out in support of Trump in 2018. So that's how Trump views him. And you have to remember this dinner took place after Kanye had made some anti-Semitic comments, but not his more severe ones, like his comments about Hitler. Those came after, not before the dinner. So, you know, I don't think – Trump is just – he meets – he through his business career, he's met with everybody – Kanye is a supporter of his. So that's the way I think Trump viewed it. Maybe it was a mistake, but I, honestly, I don't think it's going to be an issue a year from now. I think it's going to be like the, the David Duke story from 2016. He's going to be asked about this numerous times, and numerous times he's going to denounce Kanye, Kanye's anti-Semitism. He's going to say, I, I know nothing about it. I don't like it. I don't agree with it. I, don't, I think it's going to be, as what's his name I've said, of Nothing Burger. Uh, right, CNN yeah. commentator. Van Jones. Yeah, Van right. Jones. There we go. Uh, Thank you. We've seen, we, we're seeing a number of world leaders of varying political stripes make comebacks. We've seen now Benjamin Netanyahu come back as the prime minister of Israel. We're seeing Lula return as the president in Brazil. Now, Benjamin Netanyahu generally considered conservative. Lula certainly considered a left winger. Do you think that there's a trend worldwide towards these different countries who are facing very trying circumstances turning to leaders that they perceived getting them through a tough time? And do you think that it will inure to Trump's benefit? That's an interesting question. I've never, I've never quite thought of it in that fashion. I have said to some people that if – I don't know about the primary. I think actually now the more I'm seeing, I think for the primary, Trump actually is going to have to go full Trumpian in my opinion. He's going to have to be completely out there and convince his base again that he has his mojo, he has his magic charm. But in terms of the election, the general election, I've actually told some people if Trump wants to win, he should do exactly what Biden did, which is stay in a basement for the next two years and say nothing. And your whole campaign should be remember the way it was four years ago. Remember the way it was before Biden and just run on that. Run on people's memories of you. Don't run on what you actually are. 
Um, so I, I you, to your point, because people are not happy with what's going on under Biden. And maybe if he wins, I think it will probably be for that reason. Same reason he won the first time. It was in contrast to Obama. I think it will be in contrast to Biden and all the radicalism that has come with Biden. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Debbie Schlussel. She's a political commentator. She's a conservative. She's uh, she's an observant Jew. I believe she's orthodox. She was on the program about a month ago, and uh, she was talking about this uh, Trump-Kanye dinner and the controversy involved. This is what she told me about a month ago. I will not support anybody that has dinner with people like this. And, you know, his excuse that, oh, I didn't know who Nick Fuentes is. First of all, I don't believe him. Second, but even if it's the case, he absolutely knew who Kanye West was. Kanye West has been saying things for months against Jews, and he decided to invite him for dinner at Mar-a-Lago. I, I find that despicable and disgusting. What do you say to conservative Jews like Debbie Schlussel, who always vote Republican, that just say they can't vote for Trump after this Kanye West dinner? I would urge them to really rethink the whole story. I mean, with the Fuentes, Trump says he didn't know who Fuentes was. Fuentes said that Trump didn't know who I was. Milo has also confirmed it. So has Kanye. I really don't think he knew. But most most people don't know who Fuentes was. I barely knew who Fuentes was. I didn't know who he was. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, I, I really don't think he knew who he was. And in terms of Kanye, again, I would, just, I would urge her to rethink the whole issue, rethink how Kanye is, appears in Trump's mind. And Kanye was not saying anti-Semitic things for months. He was saying it for, I think, a week or two before that meeting. I would just urge her to rethink it. And again, I think over time, as the election gets closer, if you're going to talk about choices, who do you want? Someone who loves America, loves traditional religion, not saying he keeps traditional religion, but he supports sure. it, um, loves Israel, she's you know, pro-Israel, versus someone like Biden or anyone on the Democrat si- Democratic side. I think Trump is, what is he, 78 now? I think he's proven over his, or 77, 76. Well, he'll be 78 in 2024. I think right? he's proven over his, his career that he's a friend of the Jewish people. If he made a mistake, fine, he made a mistake. I think overall he has proven that he's a friend of the Jewish people. Uh, the Republicans didn't do as well as they had hoped in the recent midterm elections, and Former President Trump uh, had a post on his social media outlet, uh, Truth Social, this week, and he essentially blamed the abortion issue for the Republicans underperforming this year. He said that uh, many Republicans handled the issue poorly, especially those who firmly insisted on no exceptions to bans on the procedure, including in instances of uh, rape and incest. He also said that uh, the Republicans for whom this was a big issue essentially disappeared. And he said that's why the Republicans lost. You agree with that? I don't know where this theory came out of, like left field, really. It wasn't really voiced till now. I think he's he, – Trump in general always likes being right. I mean I love the man, but you know we all, all acknowledge sure, right. his strong points and his weak points. He loves being right no matter what. So if someone gives him a reason for why maybe the Republicans didn't do so well, he'll grab onto it. I doubt that's his original idea. I doubt he even cares so much about abortion one way or another. I've come to the conclusion really I think our problems are really education and, and media because even when we win, we won with Trump five years ago, six years ago, what, barely, barely. And you have someone like you know Fetterman in Pennsylvania winning. The guy had a stroke. He's, he's not capable of being a senator and he's running against Oz who's – one of the most middle-of-the-road Republicans you possibly can get. You know, he's not a, a, a conservative, hardcore, red-blooded conserv- Right, he's not Matt Gates, right? right, and he loses to this Fetterman person who really, right now, is not really capable. So why would someone vote for a Democrat if he's not capable? Because he's educated in schools to believe that the Democrats have correct ideas, that they're really moderate. He listens to the media, which tells him that the, that the Democrats are moderates and the Republicans are really radical. If we continue having an education system where the public schools are run by Democrats, the universities are run by Democrats, all, mo- almost all of mainstream media 
media is run by Democrats, we will continue either losing or barely winning. We really need to create – it shouldn't be one Hillsdale College in this country. There should be 50 Hillsdale Colleges. Do you see the Orthodox Jewish voters becoming a more prominent voting bloc in the future? I think so, and I think I don't know if you're familiar with Yossi Gestetner. He's a very active uh, Hasid on Twitter, yes, absolutely. and he really collects a lot of statistics showing how Orthodox Jews played very key roles in this election in upstate New York in terms of electing. I think two Republican congressmen possibly would not have been elected if not for the Orthodox vote. Zeldin only lost by six points, and I think Orthodox Jews had a lot to do with him getting so close. And Chitterelli in Jersey, they're pointing to the Orthodox Jews there as uh, – being integral to him almost winning. Right. And I think the more and more radical the left becomes, the more and more right-wing the Orthodox Jewish vote becomes. Trump won 80 to 90 percent of the, of the Orthodox Jewish vote in Borough Park and Flatbush in 2020. 2016, he only won 70 to 80 percent of the vote. So, I mean, the more, again, like I said, the more the radical the left becomes, the more right the Orthodox Jews and the Orthodox Jews are a growing community. And I think certainly in some areas, yes, they could play a role. Elliot, uh, we're going to have to end it there. It's always a treat to see you. Thank you for making the trip. I want to encourage people to check out the book, Nug- Gets of gold, and uh, they can also check out the website JewsForTrump.com. Thank you, Elliot. Thank you so much for having me. We'll continue in just a moment. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight. midnight.